Good morning. Welcome to Victory. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory Church. If this is your first time, we want to welcome you today because we know there are a lot of great churches in the West Memphis, Marion area, and we're grateful for your choosing to come and worship with us here at Victory Church today. Please make yourselves at home. If you need anything during the service, someone that you'll look around and see in a serve shirt has the big letters serve, S-E-R-V-E, maybe a big uh, orange V that looks like that Victory V right there in the middle of their shirt can help you with anything that you might need. This morning, this is number three in our series that we've been doing through the book of Ruth. It's an expositional series, which means we take it verse by verse and just sort of unpack the truth that is there. It is an Old Testament book, but it is filled uh, with what we call types, T-Y-P-E-S, Greek word tupos, which means literally a prophetic symbol or a picture. It is one of the great places in the Old Testament to be able to look and see the identifiable Jesus. Boaz is a picture of Jesus who is our kinsman redeemer. Ruth is a picture of a spirit-filled woman, which is a type of the church. Uh, as we walk through book uh, chapter 1, let me just give you a quick little review over the first two chapters. Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, is married to Naomi, whose name means pleasant. They're living in Bethlehem, Judea. Bethlehem means house of bread. Interesting, that's where Jesus came from. The bread of heaven came from the city that's named the house of bread. Uh, Judea means praise or Judah. Judea, Judah, same thing. Uh, so the house of bread and praise are where Elimelech and Naomi are living. And a famine hits because the judgment of God is coming to Israel because of their idolatrous practices. In that time, Elimelech chooses not to stay and trust God in the house of bread and praise, but he leaves the place where God has joined him out of the will of God and goes into Moab. And his two sons, Malon and Kilion, find two wives, Orpah and Ruth. While they're there, it's interesting that it says that they settled there. Everybody say settled. Anytime we depart from the will of God, we, as believers, we will tell ourselves, well, this is just temporary. But there's something that lures us, the trap of Satan, who's whose MO, his modus operandi, his method of operation is to, first of all, to, uh, to draw us in temptation and then to deceive us, make us think that we can control it, and we can, we can run the thing properly, and it'll be okay. And then once we're really trapped and the spider's web has entrapped us all the way around, then he accuses us. So he, 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 he tempts, he deceives, he accuses. And this is what happens when we depart from the will of God. We settle somewhere and they stayed 10 years. During that time, Elimelech dies, both sons die, and so Naomi, whose name means pleasant, and, and uh, the, two, the two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, are all left as widows. All their husbands have died. And Naomi hears about God pouring out blessing in Bethlehem, Judah again, and that the Lord had favored them and given them great crops. And so she makes the decision to get up and go back home, to return to the place that really she should have never left in the first place. Orpah turns her back and leaves. I don't have time to go back and do a lot of rehearsing on that. But Ruth says, where you go, I will go, and there I will follow you. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And we showed that that's a picture of literally a repentance, a conversion, a choosing to follow the Lord. And it's a picture of covenantal love that existed not between husband and wife, but between two friends. Covenant loyalty, covenant keeping. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, God despises, say it, God despises covenant breaking. 
He wants us to follow through with our commitments to be people that are stable and people that are consistent and people that are faithful and loyal. Somebody say amen. amen. Chapter 2, they are back in Bethlehem, Judea, and Ruth goes out to glean in the field. And just by chance, though we don't believe in chance, we, we don't believe in coincidence, we believe in providence, she lands in the field that Boaz owns. And Boaz is a kinsman redeemer of the family through Elimelech. And so she finds favor in his sight. She gets up and leaves and says, I'm going to go out in the glean in the field of him in whose eyes I will find favor today. And so she's looking for grace. She goes searching for favor and for the grace of God to see rest return. Because the whole book of Ruth is about rest. It's about the abundant life. Okay? That rolls us up to chapter 3 where we are today. I'd like if you would to stand with me one more time just for a moment and let's grab our text the title of the message today is called Redeemed for Rest. Say that with me. Redeemed for Rest. We have two texts, one from Matthew. As you know, we've been looking at. These are Jesus' words. And we talk about a rest that is given and a rest that is found. And they're not the same thing. Okay, so look with me. Let's read together. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is literally coming as a teacher to the people of God because they're very acquainted with this whole analogy of the yoke because they had been under the yoke of bondage of the Pharisees, a yoke of legalism. And Jesus is saying, you don't need all of this religiosity, all of this dead religion and dead letter because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take it on you because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And if you'll do that, you will find what you're looking for. You will find the abundant life. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it what? More abundantly. All right, here's today's text and we're going to pray. Ruth chapter 3 verse 9. This is the key verse of the whole chapter. Read with me. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are our Redeemer. We're going to see the emergence of a love story between the church, the bride of Christ, and between Jesus, who is the bridegroom. It's Ruth and Boaz in this story. There was a line that I sang today, and I love this. I've looked for 27 years to try to invest my gift into others, and this is the first time that I've been able to stand by my wife and worship and praise and see both those keyboards be filled today. And those guys did an awesome job. Ben and Ray, thank you for giving them a hand. Wonderful. I'm excited. I'm excited. And the one thing that stood out to me, and I don't think I've ever noticed it, and I've, I've been a part of leading this song from one of these keyboards for the last few months because it's a new song. When Aaron sang Ever Be, there was a line that I've never realized was there. And it said, your bride will be known by her true name. And that hit me in that song as I was worshiping. Oh my gosh, how amazing that goes with this message today. Because Ruth says, I am Ruth, friend of God. Something worth seeing is another meaning of her name. Look at your neighbor and say, you're something worth seeing. Now I just want to say to you right now, you can't go to every church and hear that kind of word. You're, you're God's friend because of who Boaz is, and you're something worth seeing. Look at him, tell him again, say, you don't believe it, but you're something worth seeing. Let's pray. Father, we're overwhelmed at your love for us and your goodness. You are good. You are good. You're good when I'm not. 
God, I thank you today. I acknowledge that. I need you, Lord. I'm desperate for you. I can't do anything apart from you. But God, I'm thankful for the amazing awareness of the gospel that I don't have to live apart from you, that I can live empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit moving and working and walking on the inside of me, that through Christ I can do all things who strengthens me. Jesus, I ask you today, walk these aisles. Tap our shoulders. Get our attention. Holy Spirit, search the, the, the closed doors of our hearts and open those doors and let in light, Lord, so that we can begin to see who we are. Some of us today are discouraged because we've forgotten our identity. We've forgotten who we are in Christ. God, we ask you for that in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. The title of the message today is called Redeemed for Rest. One thing that I want to bring to you is that we can't know what we have in Christ until we know who we are in Christ. We cannot know, have a clue of the riches of the glory and the knowledge and the goodness and the, the, the fullness of God's goodness that He pours out to us. We cannot know what we have in Christ until we know who we are in Christ. Our one things from our two previous messages, the first one was, when abundant life is forsaken, rest is lost. Elimelech took his family and left the house of bread and praise. Number two was, a spirit-filled person is submissive and hungry for the Word of God and for the things of the Spirit. So that's an indicator right there. If, if, I'm, if I'm filled with the Spirit of God, I'm going to be hungry to, to get a hold of the Word, just like Ruth got up with motivation and went into the field to grab handfuls of grain and she was hungry in order to see the provision of God for the word of the Lord. The grain is a type of the word. It's a picture of what God gives to us as bread. And she sits down at a meal with Boaz and he serves her wine and bread, bread to dip the morsel into the wine. And it's a picture of the communion that we have because of what Christ has done for us in the finished work of the cross. He gives us and serves us the covenant meal based on his shed blood and his broken body. Somebody say amen. And so we've looked at all these amazing, amazing connections. And it's what happens in the Bible. that The, the Old Testament is not just a dry, dusty book about dates and dead guys and, 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 and crazy people who did outrageous things because they trusted God. No, when I look back with, with new covenant eyes, when I see that the whole fulfillment of all those promises of the Old Testament are now fulfilled in the New Testament, and I turn around and I look back to the Old, I see Christ all over the place. And it becomes a whole new book. And it comes alive because I see Him walking in and among His people as types and shadows, as the Lamb that delivered them from Egypt, as the rock that walked with them that was smitten and out of His side, out of the rock that Moses hit, the, the waters gushed forth and they had something to drink. They had everlasting life in water. God quenched their thirst. All over the Old Testament, as I look back with new covenant eyes, it becomes a fresh living book and I start to see not just Jesus who was coming in the future, but He was walking around in prophetic symbol and type and shadow and they were just seeing little glimpses of Him, of the one who was yet to come. And thank God that we celebrate from the other side of the cross because He has come and He has gotten us the victory and He, is, he has won the war and His work is finished. Somebody say Amen. We can't know what we have in Christ until we know who we are in Christ. Three principles I want to get today, and I want to walk through. It's a little bit shorter chapter. I'm grateful for that because I don't have 23, 25 verses. I only have 18, and I can 
kind of spread out a little bit. Three things I want to say. Number one, Naomi's hope. Naomi's hope. Something changes from the bitterness that she experienced in Moab and the testimony that she gave when she got back to Bethlehem, when she literally said to the people, because they were so shocked, because this very, very attractive woman had gone out in the blessing of God and left, and 10 years of settling in Moab had done such a work on her, she needed to find her a plastic surgeon because she'd probably aged 25 years in 10 years. And she looked bad. It was so bad that they said, is this Naomi? Can this possibly be the pleasant one? And that's what the world will do to you folks. It will lure you until you settle, and then it will suck the life out of you. Come on, somebody, say amen. So she leaves full and comes home empty, and she's called pleasant when she leaves, and she comes back and she says, don't call me Naomi. That that name's too good for me. It means pleasant one. No, call me Mara. Call me bitterness. And, and, And there's some folks who've been like that, who've missed their day of visitation in God and have not walked in everything that Jesus died for, and because of that, they've let resentment and bitterness creep in and take over their lives. But I want you to know that the gospel is big enough even to reach the bitter ones. It will reach us when we are wounded, when we are resentful, when we are hurt. And because hurt people hurt people. Folks who are hurt end up hurting others. And Jesus has died to heal those who've been hurt so they don't have to hurt anybody else. Somebody say amen. (laughs) Naomi's hope is all about the life-giving quality of the gospel. Gospel means good news. I picked this up from the Monday night meeting with Priscilla Shire that Abby has been on tour with and just finished Friday night and came home last night. She should be in our 1045 service with us this morning. And and Priscilla said, the gospel truly defined literally means good news that's too good to be true. And I love that. But the, the reality of it is, is that it is true. Good news that is so good that it's, you, you immediately go, this is too good to be true. But it's the gospel, it's the good news of the presently reigning king. His name is Jesus. Look at verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her daughter, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? I'd like to go ahead and get this whole section. So give me ver- all the way through verse 5 and then I'm going to go back to 1. Okay? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? In other words, she was hanging out with the young women in Boaz's field. See, everybody say, behold. King James says, behold. ESV says, see. And when you see that word, it's it's, it's a point of revelation. It's something God's going to open your eyes to see something. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Verse 3, wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. One more verse, verse 5, and she replied, all that you say, read it with me, all that you say, I will do. I love that. Now let's go back in this section and let's see how Naomi's hope begins to emerge from a bitter woman who starts to be touched and transformed by the life-giving quality of the good news of a kinsman redeemer that's in town and that she's been connected to now. So Naomi says, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Remember what the primary theme of the book of Ruth is. Everybody say rest. Ruth has four chapters. Rest has four letters. Rest is the abundant life. It is where we are able to sit back and we are no longer working to earn the favor of God because 
He has given it to us in an initial relationship of new birth, but now we begin to learn how to walk with Him, take our, His yoke upon us, where we start to walk how He walks. We start to think like He thinks. We start to speak like He speaks. And when we do that, then we begin to learn that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. And in that, we find rest for ourselves. We find abundance. It's not something we have to strive for or scratch and just try to, uh, you know, around the barnyard, Chicken Little is just pecking at everything all over the place. The sky is falling, the sky is falling in the midst of all kinds of unbelief and fear. And unlike the little chicken that's around the barnyard, an eagle is one that knows rest. It's not a fearful of the storm because it just locks its wings in place and it just allows the currents that the storm is causing havoc and fear in the barnyard. The eagle just uses the same currents that are stirring up fear to earthbound creatures. Somebody hear me because I'm speaking in revelatory type typological terms. Don't be earthbound. Come on, God hadn't called you to be a chicken. He's called you to be an eagle. And so the same wind currents that wreak havoc and cause fear to those that are bound to the earth, those that look up to the heavens, those same currents cause them to be lifted up above the storm. Where you can say, your praise will ever be on my lips. And you don't have to let fear and unbelief and doubt and, and, and just striving and trying to just peck out and eke out a little bit, living from payday to payday, because you begin to realize that the God of the universe owns it all. Hallelujah. And you are His child. Should I not seek rest for you, my daughter, that it may be well with you? And rest and well are the same word, the same concept. Everybody say welfare. Jesus is concerned about your welfare. And the Old Testament word shalom, wholeness and peace. And the New Testament word soteria, which means salvation, full deliverance. Complete wholeness, spirit, soul and body in, in all three dimensions. God's desire for us is full salvation in which the new birth is only the beginning. It opens the door to the kingdom of God, to the present reality of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm preaching so good this morning. There's a set of principles here in the middle of this that if you will look at the pattern and identify the process of all that Naomi tells Ruth to do, it's a process where we can each press into, we can take the yoke of the one whose burden is light, whose yoke is easy, the one who says, I am meek and gentle, I am lowly of heart, come and learn of me, walk with me, and you will find the abundant life. You will find rest for your souls. You'll see these principles. You will see this is a way that we can press into. We can yoke up with Jesus. We can start to plow the field of the world with Him and take the gospel. We can start to begin to find a place of abundance instead of being in a place of lack. Is not Boaz our relative, she says in verse 2, with whose young women you were? See. Everybody say see. So that's that open your eyes. I'm going to show you something. Revelation. Last book of the Bible is a book where God wants to show us not crazy events uh, in the end of the world, but the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the name of the book. It's not the revelation of the end times. And please get it right. It's not revelations. It's not the book of revelations, plural. It's the revelation, singular. One thing, it's to uncover Jesus Christ. And Ruth is going to sneak in and uncover Boaz's feet. 
She's going to see something she's never seen before. Stay with me. He is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Let me talk to you a moment about this process of harvest time and grain. And when you winnow the grain, when you winnow the grain, literally, the, the, the seed pod has a protective outer coating that's hard. And that pod has to be broken open. And the, the life-giving part of the seed is on the inside of it. And many times they would tread out the grain with an animal. How many of you sometimes feel like you're being walked on by some other folks? They're just filthy animals, all of them. See, God's using sometimes the circumstances in your life to tread out the grain to help you get to the life-giving part of the Word so that you can learn to put your trust in Him and not trust in people. Come on, somebody. And so if you feel like you've been trampled on and somebody's treading on you, it's because God sees something worth on the inside that He wants to break open so you can have something of life on the inside of you. And this is the beautiful thing. Once the grain has been separated from that hard outer shell, then the owner at the time of the harvest, it's in this chapter where Boaz literally is a picture of the Lord of the harvest Himself. He is there with all of His workers and it's the, it's the spring season, and so we're seeing winds begin to blow. Just like if you pick up your iPhone or maybe whatever your weather app is on your phone, it's showing a blustery wind today. So today, this is, this is February, we're really looking at probably would more be like about June is when this would, the time of the first fruits would be because it's Pentecost, barley is growing. So we're looking at late May, early June, and the winds are blowing. It's blustery all around. How many of you remember that's the very sign that was shown in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost? They heard the sound of a rushing mighty what? Wind. And so if you're going to winnow barley, if you're going to get the living part out of it, and, and it's already been trodden down so that uh, the, the, the husks can be broken away, guess what they do? They get out there and they utilize the natural elements of a stiff wind and they start throwing that stuff up in the air and the wind blows the dried husks away and the good stuff falls straight down in front of you at your feet on the ground. How many of you know... That what's happening in some of your lives right now is because God's got a good stiff wind blowing through your life because He wants to lay a blessing right at your feet. See, some of you have never heard the word open like this. This is crazy to think that this much connection can, we can see from the old covenant to the new and we can see Jesus in Boaz. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest and he's, he's picking up all the grain because he's looking for some life and he's casting it up into the air and the wind of the Holy Spirit's blowing and knocking the dead husks off and the, the good stuff is falling right down there and he's heaping it up in a pile because, because it's a time of great abundance. And at the time of the harvest, Boaz is there and he's, he's gathering all the grain into the granary and he's heaping it up into big stacks. And this is what it says. See, he's at the winnowing barley in the threshing floor, winnowing barley tonight. And so I just want to tell you that this is a day that God is shaking everything that can be shaken so that what you received, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He's causing the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow through stuff in your life that can be blown away, dead things, dead husks, so that what's left is a kingdom that remains that cannot be shaken. Come on, somebody, say amen. He's separating the wheat and the tares in the field of our own lives. Verse 3, are you getting anything out of this? Amen. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak. Now, this is one time while I really like the King James. It says, honey, take a bath. 
This is a little bit of Bonehead Kingdom. There were, there were a few guys in our Bible school that I don't think they ever read this verse in the Bible. And past, Pastor Varner would say, we need to get some mentors who are willing to show these young men this is a bar of soap. You put it under here and you rub it. Now, you're not laughing, but how many of you know man stinks? Flesh stinks. There is a multi-million dollar, no, 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 let me back up. It's a multi-billion dollar business between deodorants and perfumes trying to get rid of man's stink. How many of you know the flesh still stinks? Now, what does this mean, wash yourself? Well, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says that we are washed by the water of the word of the Lord. Now, how many of you know this morning that you're taking a bath right now? You're being washed by the Word. You're being reminded of who you are and who your Father is and how much He loves you. And, and the Word is washing over you and it's washing away all the wrong traditions of men that nullify the Word of God and that take away the religious nonsensical ideas that, that you've been taught your whole life that don't even agree with the Word. And you wonder if those guys even read their Bibles when they stood up in the pulpit every Sunday and beat you with a whip and told you how no good and awful and low down you were. Stay with me. Don't quit. Wash yourself in the water of the Word. Anoint yourself. So put on something that is a sweet-smelling savor. What does the Bible call the sweet-smelling savor? Praise. His praise will ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips. Hebrews 13, 15 says, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. God loves that. He loves that incense, that aroma of your praise and your prayers going up to Him. Come on. When folk get around you, do you stink or are you giving off a good aroma? It has everything to do with what's coming out of your mouth right here. Come on, somebody. Some, some of us have some spiritual halitosis because all we're doing is we just got the bad breath of doubt and fear and unbelief and we need to get, a, we need to get us some, some heavy-duty something uh, what, what are those little bitty things that are so strong they about knock you down? Yeah, you need whatever that is you just said. And, 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 and we need some faith dose. Come on, somebody. I'm helping somebody this morning. Do not make yourself known to the man. Wash yourself in the Word. Anoint yourself with the Spirit and prayer and devotion to the Lord. Put on. Put on your garments. What are the Christian's garments? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians and Colossians in the book of Romans, put on the armor of light. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 says, put on the whole armor of God. It talks about the belt and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Get dressed up in your right clothes, Christian. Come on, don't be walking around, but, I'm sorry, uh, bareback naked. <laughs> Wash yourself. Watch and wait. Don't just barge in. Don't just jump in there where he is, but sh just show respect. Come in out of respect and reverence and realize there's a godly order and there's a protocol. And, and don't wait till the end of the harvest to do this. You've got to act now. Don't wait until the end of your life to find that Jesus Christ is the abundant, full harvest, the Lord of the harvest. You can know it right now. Don't wait till your deathbed to confess Jesus and say, save me. You might just barely get in, but I'll tell you, there won't be any reward unfortunate. You, you, you can be accepted into his presence and somebody says, yeah, that's all I need and I, and I hear that. But let me tell you, if you can learn to walk with him right now on this side and not wait till the end of the harvest, the end of your life and press in to know him, you can walk in shalom, you can walk in peace, you can have rest, you can have wholeness. Come on, somebody. 
Because God wants that for you. He wants that for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to heal you. He wants to prosper you. That's the word of the Lord. Verse 4. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. It's a picture of rest. Boaz is finished as the Lord of the harvest. The grain's been brought in. It's been winnowed. It's heaped up in a big pile. And it was customary in those days for the owner of the field to sleep in the granary to protect what he had worked a whole season to bring in. How many of you know the Lord knows right where you are and when you're asleep, he's guarding the granary in your life? Come on, somebody. Because you're part of his field and part of his crop. Um, Secondly, next point, Ruth's boldness. Ruth's boldness, it's the empowering presence of Boaz, Jesus, that transforms Ruth. So she went down to the threshing floor and did, everybody say did, and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Now, I love this. The previous verse says, all that you say I will do. Let me just, let me help you understand what this means. You will never learn to walk in authority until you learn to submit to authority. Naomi, everything that you've said, I will do. And she's not just mouthing the words. She's submitting to an older saint that's mentoring her, even though it's difficult because the old saint has some bitterness and has some displacement of blame toward God, she can still give some good advice. And so she tells Ruth, get up and go down there and wash yourself and anoint yourself and don't reveal yourself too quickly. Go in softly. And so Ruth is a doer of the word. What does James 1 say? Don't be a hearer only, but be a what? Be a doer of the word. She got up and went down and did all that she said. How many of you know God is interested in finding a people that will follow through with action? Faith without what? Is dead? you got some works to do. It's not going to earn you anything, but you still have some works to show and demonstrate your faith. Somebody say amen. Once we know the program, the plan, the process of God, there's nothing left but to obey. Now, I want you to see verse 7. The Bible says, When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now, it was the custom for the owner of the field to stay where the harvest had been winnowed in order to guard the crop, as I've already said. But look at what's said here. When he's eaten and drunk and his heart is merry. How many of you know that too many Christians depict and represent, let me do a play on that word, they represent to the world Jesus as sad or angry or upset or frustrated? And how many of you know the Lord of the harvest is merry? Come on, he's imbibed on the wine of the Holy Spirit and he's, he's eaten in the presence of the Father and Jesus is Mary. Now that's hard for some of you to realize, but when he looks at you, he's excited. He has joy in his life, in his heart. He's Mary toward you. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is Mary. He has joy at the magnitude of the harvest and the fact that the chaff has been blown away and he's got all this amazing living seed sitting right here in front of him. Now, this is what I want you to see. She goes and she uncovers his feet. His feet are a a picture of his walk. The Bible says in 1 John that we are to walk as Jesus walked. 
And if I'm going to take his yoke upon me and follow him, I'm going to have to learn how to get in step with him and walk alongside him. Now, now how many of you know when you take a younger one with you, uh, you have to be mindful of the ability and the stride of that younger one. And if you're an adult, Dawn used to walk with me and I'd have Drew uh, and just literally, she said, you're just dragging him because you just got your big old man stride going there. And she'd say, you got to slow down, honey. He has two little legs and I'm just walking like this and Drew's doing this. She'd say, he's just running, Michael. What's the whole point? The point is, is that if I'm going to mentor someone, I'm going to have to slow my stride down so they can pick theirs up and learn how to get in stride and follow and learn how to walk with me. Jesus, our Boaz, his feet speak of his walk. And this is what I want you to see. I wish I had time to stop and just explode this. Because the Bible says in Isaiah 52 verse 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who announces good tidings that our God reigns. It says in Isaiah 52 7, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him. Everybody say him. Him is singular. That's Jesus. That's Boaz. Ruth has uncovered his feet and she sees a beautiful walk. She says a whole different way to live. She sees, sees a whole new kind of life. Uh, there's revelation. It's an uncovering of, uh, of, of who this Boaz is and the foundation of him. And, and oh, I want you to let God explode this thing is what has happened since the cross. Because in the Old Testament, it was just the coming of one. But now in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul quotes that very same verse from Isaiah 52 verse 7. He quotes it in Romans 10 15. And he says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them. couple of you are hearing it. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news. It's not just one by himself, but he's the firstborn among a whole company that he's raising up to be just like him. The feet of him becomes the feet of them. And when you uncover his feet and realize that it's a foot company in the earth. It's the church of Jesus Christ that has marching orders. We're the ones with our feet planted on the ground. The head is in heaven. Jesus is the head of the body. But the body of Christ that's on the earth right now, the church, is the one who have their feet on the terra firma, on the earth. And every place where the soles of our feet will tread, God will give us dominion. If we believe it. But we can't know what we have in Christ until we understand who we are in Christ. My, 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 somebody helped me a little bit this morning. The way up to the throne is down to the floor. You want to find yourself in Boaz's presence, enter into his rest, you got to get down to the threshing floor. you got to get out here and winnow some grain. You're going to have to get a heart for evangelism and reach the lost. And get out there where the crops are growing and where lives are being changed and transformed. Come on, are you getting anything out of this this morning? At midnight, verse 8, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman laid his feet. Let me tell you where midnight is. Midnight is a transitional time in your life. The calendar's changed. It's a new day, but it's still dark outside. How many of you know when God starts a new season in your life, it's still dark? You're up looking for the light, wondering what's going on. But he tells you, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how dark it is. It's a new day. A new day's begun in your life. Let faith arise. 
Because it may look like night, but if you'll just keep watching and waiting and keep your faith and don't stop and don't turn off the switch of faith, let me tell you, light's going to break over the horizon and you're going to step into the fullness of a whole new day. The path of the justice as the shining light that shines more and more into the perfect day. As the sun arises, it gets brighter and it brings more warmth and it illuminates to a greater degree because it becomes the full sun. And what God is doing in some midnight seasons in some of your lives in a season of transition where you're walking out of something, an addiction that has bound you, but you've got a little bit of hope, but it's still night because you're still struggling. That's when you don't quit. Because let me tell you, that's when a lot of the whole rest of the world is asleep, but God always has somebody that's awake and that's alert and that's sober and that's in their right mind and that's watching and that's waiting and that's thinking about what God's doing in their lives. When the world will lull you to sleep at midnight, Jesus is reminding you, I don't care that it's still dark, but a whole new day's begun in your life. Now look at it in faith. Come on, somebody say amen. Midnight, what are we saying? Somebody's a watch. Somebody's awake and watching. At the midnight hour, God will have a church that he will find laying at the feet of Boaz, laying at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is used to folks who will show up for the all-you-can-eat fish dinners when he multiplies the fish and the loaves, but they don't hang around when he starts to talk about himself eating his flesh and drinking his blood. They don't want him. They just want what he can bring. They don't want his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. They just want his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. Which do you want this morning? Do you want the God of presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, the stuff, or do you want the God of presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E? Because if you have him, you have all of that other stuff. Come on, somebody. And, and, and Boaz is looking for somebody that's not just wanting a handout. Somebody that just wants to be blessed, but somebody that's interested in having him. My, my, my. Those who just want the corn but don't want him. He's startled. I, I believe with all of my heart that, 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 that Jesus will actually will get his attention and he will turn to see what in the world's going on as he looks down here and he sees a church that's laying at his feet. A church that has praise coming up out of their lips. A church that's speaking faith. A church that's reconciling in the face of prejudice and unbelief and ignorance and all the junk that reigns in the spirit in the delta. A church that stands up and speaks life to death. A church that stands up and says, Mountain, move! And get out of the way. Worshiping hearts get Jesus' attention. Look at, look at the key verse. Here we go, verse 9. Are you getting anything out of this? i got to roll fast to get my last point. He said, who are you? She, said, she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, I want you to notice that she didn't give any of the religious mock humility, false humility, ch southern churchianity talk. Oh, Boaz, I'm just so unworthy. I'm just not even, I shouldn't even be here. I just don't even know what I'm thinking that I've come in here and uncovered your feet. She, she didn't give any of that stuff that would actually have ruined this, this critical moment. You know what? She was over herself and over all that religious nonsense and that false humility of crying unworthy and I'm, oh, I'm so no good because that's what everybody's told me in Sunday school my whole life about how, how awful and no good and unworthy I am. You know what she said? She says, I am Ruth. I am a friend of the king. I am something worth looking at. That's what Ruth means. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Yes, when we come to Christ as a sinner, we're totally unworthy. But just think about this. 
evidently he saw something in you because he died to save you and you were worth the price of his blood. What's up with that kind of nonsensical thinking? She wasn't talking all that religious gobbledygook. She says, I'm Ruth. I'm your servant. I'm, I'm something worth looking at. And look at this word servant. Everybody say servant. In, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this is the Greek word doulos, which means bond slave. Now, Exodus chapter 21 and Deuteronomy chapter 15 both talk about a bond slave that has a special relationship. Everybody say love slave. Now, now we're not talking about somebody that's sold into sexual slavery, but this is someone who has decided to stay in the same house because they love their master. Because slavery under the old covenant was not the kind of slavery that we had in America. Slavery in the Old Testament was an economic situation where people who couldn't pay their bills themselves, they were not captured and made to serve as slaves, but it was people who willingly went to a house that was prospering and said, I will be your slave for these six years because every seven years was the year of release and all slaves were to be set free. And so it was not the middle passage of the transatlantic slave trade the way we saw in the foundation of America with ripping families apart and bringing them here and just tormenting and killing and maiming and hurting and, and no mercy whatsoever. Slavery under the Hebrew economy was a temporary thing. Six years you serve and you pay your bills and the house that you're serving, they feed you and they, 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 they help you come alongside so that you can be lifted up and be released in the seventh year, the year of release. After seven years of seven, seven sevens, the 50th year is the year of jubilee. It's a huge, big throw, a massive party of release and, and liberty and the blessing of God being poured out on Israel. And so slaves who love their masters, this is what the Bible says, these are the judgments that you will set before them, Exodus 21 verse 2, if you buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, in the seventh year he shall go out free for nothing. I'm going to skip about three verses, jump to five. If the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door. Jesus said, I am the what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. But what did he say in John 10? I am the door of the sheep. Okay? Listen. Then his master shall bring him to the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Now, this is not a nice little hole, little bitty tiny piercing where you put a pretty diamond stud in. This is literally taking your earlobe and putting it on the doorpost. This is literally taking your earlobe and putting it on the doorpost and the master picks up a hammer and an awl and drives your earlobe into the doorpost cutting out a big old huge hunk of your ear so that when you walk through society, everybody sees that you are somebody's love slave. You are marked. I, I, I want you to hear what Ruth was saying. I'm your love slave. My ear has been marked. I love you and I'm not going anywhere. Even though I could be free, I'm going to be right here because I know the one in whom my heart loves and I want you to mark my ear so that my ear is not tuned to any other voices in the world, but I want to hear only your voice. The voice of the one whose name is the door, Jesus. 
It's in the 1980s. We sang a song. It's from this passage of Scripture. It goes like this. It says, Pierce my ear, O Lord, my God. Is that on? Is it on? No, it wasn't. Okay. Now it is. Pierce my ear, O Lord, my God. Take me to your door this day. I will serve no other God. Lord, I'm here to stay. Listen, you have paid the price for me with your blood. You ransomed me, oh, I will serve you eternally. Listen, a free man I'll never be. I'm your love slave, Jesus. Take my ear to the door. Mark it so that the world knows <laughs> I'm not listening to any of their crap. And a free man, I'll never be. Somebody say amen. What am I saying this morning? What am I saying this morning? Ruth didn't waste time talking to a bunch of religious Christianese. Oh, I'm just so unworthy, I shouldn't even be here. No. She stepped in faith. She obeyed the word from Naomi. And when he asked her, who, you are, who are you? What is your identity? She said, I am Ruth. I am friend of the king. I am something worth seeing. And I'm your servant. I'm your love slave. My ear has been taken to the door. And I'm not going to listen to the voice of another. I'm only going to listen to the voice of my good shepherd. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Why is that important? Because we can never know what we have in Christ until we know who we are in Christ. Everybody say, I am Ruth. I'm your servant. Come on. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The promises of God are yours. His presence, E-N-T-S, and His presence, E-N-C-E, both are yours. But want Him. Worship Him. Seek Him. Cry out to Him. When you begin to know who He is and see Him as He is, then it will change who you are. And it's just like Elijah when he told Elisha, if you see me when I have ascended, then you will get a double portion of my spirit upon you. And this morning, if we can see our heavenly Elijah, who has already ascended to the right hand of the majesty of God on high, and he's sitting right now as the Lord of glory, as the Lord of the universe, he's in a place of high exaltation. And if I can look up and see his ascension and see his exaltation, he's promised to pour down upon me a double portion of his same spirit. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Boaz's response. Come on, Ben, back to the keyboard. I'm, I'm going to finish. Boaz's response. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord. 
my daughter, you have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have gone, you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Ruth was good looking. She could have had anybody she wanted. Boaz is basically saying, you know, it moves me that you weren't willing to settle for a novice, for some little youngster out here in the field in the ministry, but you wanted a mature man. You wanted Boaz. We've got to have Jesus. We've got to have him himself. She walked in the family principle. She knew that God had joined her to that family of Naomi. And when she could have just gone her own way, she chose to remain faithful, to be covenantally loyal, to not break covenant, but to keep covenant. And guess what? When you do that, Boaz is watching and he sees it. He's paying attention. She could have had plenty of young men, but she wouldn't settle for a novice in the ministry. She wanted a mature man. She wanted Boaz himself. And he says in verse 11, Now, my daughter, do not fear, which is what Jesus says to us. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. He says, I will do for you all that you ask. Come on, if you just seek him and you want him, he sees that you want him. And he's basically saying, come on, tell me what you want. I'm going to give you whatever you ask for. It's what he said to the disciples. Ask whatever you will in my name and I will give it to you. I will do it for you. Come on, somebody. That's, that's how much God is good and how much he loves us and how much he's caring for us. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my, look at this, all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. That's the exact same Hebrew word that describes Boaz in chapter 2, verse 1, where it says he was a mighty man of wealth. Everybody say wealth. So Boaz describes Ruth with the same description that he has described himself. So when Jesus looks at the bride, he says, you are mine. I'm going to make sure you're known by your true name. And your true name is not sinful. Your true name is righteousness of God in me, in Christ. Because you're covered by me. Ruth said when she was with him, spread your skirt, spread your wings over me because you are a redeemer. That was something beyond what Naomi had told her to say. And she went in there with boldness because she had hopes of something great. Now look at this. just want to say this to you right now. Keep yourself pure, Ruth. Keep your affections and your love toward Boaz because the whole town knows you have the favor of God on you. You went in and washed all the dust off the field before you met him. What is the dust? It's all the little finer points of the flesh. It's the envy and the jealousy and the other young women in the field that know Boaz has got his eye on you. They're trying to mean girl you, Ruth. May even try to make you look like you're crazy. But the favor of God's on you and there ain't a thing, a slap thing they can do about it. And he's going to cover you and he's going to protect you. He's going to spread his skirts of his garments over you and take you under his wings. And they can just mean girl you all they want to because Boaz has got his eye on you, Ruth. I'm talking to everybody. Come on. Are you hearing me this morning? Verse 12, and now it's true that I'm a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. I'm not going to open that today because that's next week. This thing is either about law or it's about grace. It's one or the other. It can, there can be no neutrality. We're going to see next week whether the law will step up and redeem Ruth or not. And I, I, I challenge you to come back because you're going to see the finality of this amazing story we've been building for these three chapters. Verse 13, remain tonight and in the morning. Everybody say in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then look at what Boaz says. As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Now, how many of you know when God makes you a promise, 
there ain't nothing left for you to do but just sit back and rest. Because he's promised you as long as I'm alive, because we have the blood of his covenant that he shed for us and we have the oath of the everlasting covenant where he said it's by two things that it's impossible for God to lie. And when God makes you a promise and he says, as the Lord lives, surely I will do this for you. There ain't nothing left for you to strive over. There's nothing left for you to wring your hands and worry about. If you've got a word from Boaz and you know that you've heard his voice, then the best thing you can do is just lie down and rest until the morning. Because when the morning dawns, oh hallelujah, I, I, I feel like preaching just a little bit in this place here because Jesus himself is the pledge and the guarantee of the full performance of his promise. And the Holy Spirit in you is the earnest of your inheritance. Lie down until the morning. Praise Him until you see the answer. Speak to the mountain until you see it move. Don't quit. Don't give up until. Everybody say until. Until you see the harvest. Verse 14. Come on, stay with me. So she laid His feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And He said, Let it, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Verse 15, he said, bring me the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and he put it on her. Everybody say, he put it on her. See, when you've sought his presence, E-N-C-E, he's going to make sure you leave with all the presence that you need. Because if you've got him, you've got all the stuff you need. Come on, somebody. Now, do you remember that in, 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 in Ruth chapter 2, she worked all day long, hard labor, and she was able to glean one omer or one measure of barley. But how many of you know when the owner of the field puts his favor on you and he says, come on over here, maiden of the Lord, and hold out your garment, and he's going to give you six times what you're able to do by working for it in one day. And he gives that to you in one moment. Come on, all you need is just the blessing and the favor of the Lord on your life. And guess what? When you put his six measures with your one measure, you've got seven measures. And seven in Scripture is the number of perfection. And six is the number of man. God's going to give you enough word to feed the whole world, all of mankind. Come on, somebody. Those are the six measures of barley. so much there I can't I don't even have time to open when she came to her mother-in-law she said how did you fare my daughter then she told her all that the man had done for her everybody say look what the Lord has done you know what if you can just not quit if you can just hang on until the mess that you're walking through right now will become a message and it'll become the test you're in will become a testimony and it's no longer oh look how pitiful it is you can all of a sudden walk around and say look what the Lord did in my life if you can just keep trusting until, if you can hang on until, if you can believe the word that he spoke and you know you have the promise of Boaz and you can lie down and rest until the morning. Look at what it says. Two verses and I'm finished. Verse 17 saying, this is what he said to her. These six measures of barley he gave to me for he said to me, you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. We must be willing to take the seven measures to those who have become bitter and minister out of mercy. There's a whole lot of folk out here in the world who've been hurt in the church. They've been wounded. They've been bruised. Pleasantness has given way to bitterness. And they got a sad song to sing. The last thing we need to do is hurt somebody that's already hurt or kick a wounded sheep or knock down another 
burnt stone out of the wall. But God wants to take our seven measures and a whole lot of joy and some grace and give it to somebody that's bitter because God want, he, he still loves those that are bitter against him. Come on, somebody. Verse 18. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. I love it. There is no need. I'm finishing. I'm just reading some notes to you that I wrote down when I was preparing. There is no need for us to do anything further. Everything is in the hand of Boaz. Whatever your need is this morning, Philippians 1.6 is the life verse of mine. Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in me, he won't rest until he's got it finished. He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Naomi said to Ruth, honey, he, he won't rest until he settles the matter today. Everybody say, today's the day of salvation. He will complete our redemption. Jesus will not rest until his presence inhabits a people fully, spirit, mind, and body. Did you get anything out of this today? Bow your head.